everyone, and welcome back to today's episode on Movius Ministries Podcast. This is your friend Josiah. Today, we're going to be studying 1 Peter chapter 4. I have loved this study through 1 Peter, um, looking at original language and just breaking down verses that uh, Peter uh, quotes back to the Old Testament. It's been very enlightening. And um, yeah, uh, I, I do realize that I am doing today's episode a little bit earlier today, just because I have some stuff I got to take care of later today. Um, so thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I'm super excited to dive into 1 Peter 4. I look at verses that I've known for a while in Peter's first epistle to a church that was mixed between Jews and Gentiles. And looking at the whole chapters as we've gone through 1 Peter have definitely enlightened me to understand. Um, again, I just I use the word so much, but it's just to really understand the context of things that Peter says um, to like, not only that, not, not only just knowing context, but like other verses that I just didn't know throughout um, the chapters that we've been reading through. This is season 19, episode 198, and you know what guys, happy new year. This is 2023, you guys know I did upload some prophetic words that I had um, regarding this year, and uh, I uploaded that on Friday, so if you haven't listened to that, please go check it out. I I do believe that the words that I gave were from the Lord, Um, and uh, yeah, you guys know about... uh, his name is Damar Hamlin. Um, last night I was watching the game. The Cincinnati Bengals were hosting the Buffalo Bills. And, uh, they're fighting for a higher seed for the NFL playoffs. Anyway, basically, um, the Bills, Josh Allen, the quarterback for the Bills, threw, threw the ball to one of his receivers. And uh, DeMar Hamlin tackled the guy who caught the ball, and he got back up, you know, after he tackles the guy, and then and then as he's getting back up, he just fell right down to the floor. He just fell down. Um, he went into cardiac arrest. Um, the paramedics, or the people, there were people that performed CPR on him. Uh, right now, uh, there was an update that we got last night about... Um, his condition. Uh, last we heard last night, they said he was in critical condition. I've been, I, I've been praying for him, his family, his loved ones. Um, so beloved, let's pray for him uh, and his family right now uh, before we kind of dive into First Peter four today. This is there. There is going to be two parts for First Peter four today. I've got some deep stuff, and there's one particular verse that we're going to look at. The we're going to look into the Greek very deeply and it's really when I when I looked at it in the Greek it really opened up my mind and um, you know it's that is never going to be redundant it's so important to look at original language to help us understand um, I mean Greek language was so complex and Hebrew was even more complex um, that's my personal opinion I could be wrong about that but um, so here on Mobius Ministries I with the help of the Holy Spirit thank God do my best to interpret scripture, help you grow in your intimacy with the Lord, and to encourage you to remain steadfast through tough seasons as we also continue to be prepared for the second coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
If you're new to my podcast or have been listening for quite some time now, welcome. I'm so glad you are here. Uh, over, uh, over a year ago, God told me to start this podcast and start using the teaching gift he has given me. I just pray that God's will would be evident in your life as we go through today's uh, episode. Um, now, I do know that I've been saying that I've been posting questions down below. If you're a Spotify listener, you can answer if you're listening on Spotify. Um, so I guess I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to think of the question right now. Um, if you are going through a trial right now, if you are in a season of really going through some hard things, which I know I, I'm in the hardest season of suffering in my life right now. Um, I'm learning a lot. I'm learning how to be content in the midst of it and just praying a lot. Um, you guys know that I've talked about um, knowing that I'm going to be in heaven one day, and that's where I learned to be content with my sufferings because I know that I'm going to be in heaven one day. And that's been kind of a new renewing in my mind that I've been seeing over the past couple weeks now. And it's been so joyful, and it really has taught me how to be content and just like, I'm okay with what I'm going through. It's temporary. I'm not going to put my hope in this life. Um, and, you know, people talk about the last days. You guys know I talk about that a lot. And we can look at how sin is going to continue to grow um, in the future, in the last days. But know that Christ is going to come back and he's going to make everything new. There's going to be no more sin. There's going to be no more sadness, no more sorrow. You can read that at the end of Revelation. I forget what chapter. Um, I think it's chapter 21 where it says he will wipe away every tear and every... Um, that's exactly it. It says he's going to wipe away every tear and uh, there will be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more sadness, no more sin. What a glorious day that's going to be, beloved. So that's my question for you. What are you learning in the midst of your trials that you're going through right now? And if you're not in a season of um, going through a trial, that's fine. God appoints us in different seasons for different times. And um, that's totally fine. It's, you know, so... Um, I actually am still at my friend Andrew's house. Uh, his dogs, I dropped off at. Um, I dropped them, dropped them off with him last night at a place in West Bloomfield. Um, so I'm just staying here. Um, you guys know that I've one of the trials that I have going on right now is I have a very hard home life, and um, I have a tough time trying to have a very healthy relationship with my dad, and it breaks my heart. But. Part of me kind of wants to go back because, like, it's home, and there's people say, like, oh, there's no place like home. Like, there is a small feeling that I have in that for myself, um, but it's nice just to be able to be in a house alone. And I've definitely, like, been pondering on, like, when I, if I become a pastor one day and I am able to, um, like, have my own church congregation, whether that's a small church or a mega church, that, that's in the Lord's hands, and I just want to do what He wants me to do. Um, I've definitely felt like this would be very nice to like to like be single as a pastor or a missionary. Um, I think Paul just says it so simply that like that you're 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 releasing yourself from so much stress, and he actually says it'll give you uh, more of an opportunity to uh, do um, work for the Lord. 
Um, if you have any questions or comments about today's sermon, you can email me at josiahmovius12 at yahoo.com. Um, and the verse of the day is going to be out of Psalm 31, 19 through 20. And out of the NIV, it reads, How abundant are the good things that you, the Lord, have stored up for those who fear you, that you bestow in the sight of all on those who take refuge in you. In the shelter of your presence, you hide them from all human intrigues. You keep them safe in your dwelling from accusing tongues. Wow, you know what? Even just reading that for me right now and how I told you guys about the kind of stuff I'm going through at home, that's something that I think I'm going to be praying about today and the next day and just here on out. It's a very... Uh, last night, I saw a movie. Let's, let's open in prayer, and then I want to share with you guys a movie that I saw last night in theaters. Um, really opened my eyes a lot. Father, I thank you so much for today and giving me this platform to equip your, your bride, your beloved, your agapetas. I thank you for the breath in our lungs. We thank you for your word. We pray that your word would go forth in power and it would enlighten our hearts and teach us to live a more fruitful and holy and uh, glorifying life towards your name, Lord. I pray for uh, my listener, wherever they're at, Lord, that they would just grow in your grace. You would take them where they need to be taken. I just pray for open hearts. I pray for teachable hearts. I pray that you would just instruct them, Father, according to your love and according to your steadfast grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so I saw this movie last night called The Whale. And I forget the guy who was the main actor, but he was one of the actors in a movie a long time ago called Crash and that movie Crash got best picture back I want I, yeah, I want to say that movie was released in 09 or, or 2010 it got best picture that year but anyway this movie really showed me this verse I'm going to read it right now out of my amplified bible it's Proverbs 15:4 this has been a verse that I've been praying in many different ways over the body of Christ, and it says right here, I've spoken this a few times before here on my podcast, I'm just going to share it again though, Proverbs 15, 4 out of the Amplified, a soothing tongue, speaking words that build up and encourage is a tree of life, but a perversive tongue, speaking words that overwhelm and depress, crushes the spirit. And I saw that verse very evident in the movie yesterday. There was a lot of unforgiveness, and I'm just going to say this last part, and we'll dive into 1 Peter 4. Um, people say that, like, like, when someone says something to me, like, oh, it doesn't hurt my feelings, and I'm like, you know what? I look at that verse, I think, no, not according to the Word of God. It says it does hurt your feelings, and I think that people may be saying that because they feel shame because the person that is saying those mean things don't want to admit they're wrong and it's almost like gaslighting in secret and the person second guesses themselves and then they just wallow up in shame and like 
I shouldn't feel this way, I shouldn't feel hurt, but the Word of God says it does hurt your feelings, and that's normal. We are human beings with emotions, and I just, my, my friend Brandon, I, I, it's been on my heart to eventually bring him here on my podcast, and we want to talk about the power of the tongue, and pull out James 3, pull out 1 Peter 2, the first, first couple verses out of 1 Peter 2. Beloved, we need to be so careful about how we talk to people. We cannot continue to speak evil or curses or mean things to people. We cannot do this. I'll tell you. I'll, I'll tell you this last thing, and then I'll, I promise we'll dive into First Peter four. I was driving a few days ago, and I was turning left at a light, and there was this car that totally cut me off. And I did honk my horn, but my motive behind it was like, "Hey," wasn't out of pride. And the guy in the shotgun happened to flip me off. Older guy didn't look at me when he did it. Had to be in his early 70s, maybe maybe late 60s. And I just remember saying, Lord, I just pray you bless him. You just reveal the son. And this is what Jesus said, to bless those who curse you, to bless those who say mean things to you, bless those who mistreat you. And he says, I think it's in the next chapter, let your good works be shown to man so that you may be seen as children of God. I, I think that's what he says. I'm paraphrasing there, but... This is what we must do. And so I really encourage you with that. I hope that hope that helps. So, okay, last week we went through uh, chapter 3. And at the end of chapter 3, Peter was talking about suffering for righteousness' sake. I said in last week's episode that verse 9 was my favorite because it really shines a light on the type of season that I am in right now. And here's what it reads. Out of the NIV, uh, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. So it's almost like Peter isn't saying, like, oh, this is a mistake, and like, oh, you better act on it, oh my gosh. No, he's saying you were called to this. Think about what an honor that is, beloved. And Paul says, I think somewhere in 2 Corinthians, he's like, although we are beaten, although we are strucken, although we are speaking evil, he goes, we bless and we encourage. And he just says, like, like we are going to do things, like Proverbs 15, 4, we're going to do things that are going to uplift people and not speak a pervasive tongue. When I worked on this chapter on December 29th at Desert Oasis Coffee Shop in downtown Rochester, I felt inclined to look at the Greek word, of inherit and at the end of verse 9 here's what it means it's used as a verb and it means to receive a lot to receive a part of an of an inheritance receive as an inheritance obtained by right of inheritance to receive the portion assigned to one receive an allotted portion receive as one's own or as a possession to become a partaker of or to obtain this definition flashed my eyes open and gave me so much hope that I am doing the right thing for the season that I am in. I am continuing to be a doer of God's word because they are not burdensome. That's what First John says. And I pray the same thing over you, beloved. 
So Peter was encouraging to treat others the way Christ reacted in the way that Jesus was treated when he was speaking evil at, when he was beaten, when he was, when he was, I mean, literally, physically, and emotionally persecuted. Chapter 4, Peter is going to elaborate on how to continue to act like Christ in the midst of tough times or in seasons of suffering. To better understand Peter's continued thought from what we read today in chapter 3, Peter was elaborating on what we have been brought into through Christ in contrast of the old covenant in the days of Noah. Peter says that only eight people were saved through the flood. But now you have been saved through God's grace in baptism by now having a clear conscience with the Lord. There's one other point that I wanted to make. Crap. Um, so I've been, you know, praying this week in my alone time with the Lord. And I've been um, saying, like, Lord, as I'm going to go back home with my dad, part of me was really afraid about, like, how am I supposed to know when I'm saying the right things, responding towards my dad and my brother, like, just taming my tongue in the right way. And I just kept praying, like, Lord, please help me say the right things. Please help me, like, like, it's literally, it's that verse in Psalms, I forget what chapter, but David says, let the meditation of my heart and the, and the words out of my mouth pleasing towards you. And some people may be like, oh, that's legalistic and that's the old covenant. But we have to realize, beloved, that you're, you're, it's not, it's not about like, it's not, that David's motive behind that was because he wanted to, you had to essentially keep the law in the contextual setting that was going on in David's life then. But now, John says, in, in the New Testament, First John, it says that we love him because he first loved us. It's not we love him because we have to keep the law, because scripture is clear we couldn't do that. No one could. Paul says we, uh, everyone falls short of the glory of God. He's including himself, and James, and Peter, and John, everyone. But we do it because because he loved us first. That's it. It's the simplicity of the gospel. So, verse 1, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, remember that part right there, in the flesh, we're going to come back to that, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now, last part of verse 1, we're going to come back to that. We're going to understand what Peter's really saying there. So as to live for the rest of time in the flesh... No longer for human passions, but for the will of God. So he's saying in verse 2, when you are, I'm going off, off note here, when you arm yourselves with the same way of thinking of suffering in the flesh as Christ did, you are then not living in the flesh of pleasing human passions, but you're doing the will of God which pleases the Lord. At the beginning of verse 1 where it says, in the flesh, there's a footnote and it says, some manuscripts add for us and some for you. So let's plug that in real quick. Since therefore Christ has suffered in the flesh for us, 
Some manuscripts add that, or it also adds, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh for you. It's either or. It says some manuscripts say for us, some manuscripts say for you. Peter was telling us previously at the end of chapter 3 that if you suffer by doing the right thing, that that is unjust, but that God approves of you in that moment. And you are silencing the attacker's ignorance and by secretly putting them to shame. And really, it's really the Lord behind that putting them to shame. Because Jesus said that those who don't believe and trust in my name, the wrath of God abides on them. That's 1 John 3, I think 17 or 18. Here are some notes that I got from, from Blue Letter Bible on David Guzik's study guide. Since Christ, when it, where it says, Since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same mind. Arm yourselves also with the same mind. The commitment God calls us to have is nothing greater than the commandment Jesus had in, the, in enduring suffering for our salvation. In the last days, we need to have a commitment to God that will endure through great struggles. Jesus communicated the same idea when he told us that anyone who would come after him must take up his cross and follow him. Matthew 16, 24. Taking up the cross meant that you were absolutely committed and not looking back. Where it says in verse 1, arm yourselves with the same mind. I think that's verse 1. Let's see. Yeah. Um, many of us are defeated in our battle against sin because we refuse to sacrifice anything in the battle. That may be a hard thing to realize, but I've definitely experienced that in my own life. We only want victory if it comes easily to us. Honestly, I'll just speak for myself. Jesus called us to have a kind of attitude that would sacrifice in the battle against sin. That's Matthew 5, 29 through 30. And I think that's the verse where Jesus says, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Now, it's not literal. I don't think that that, that, that seems like something you would hear from a cult. Um, but... Like, if you take it in that literal sense, I think that's where you would think, like, oh my gosh, this is not, like, the Lord, this is, like, a man-made kind of a religion. But he's saying what, what he's using a analogy, which we can see Scripture use. James uses it in chapter 3, where he talks about the rudder of a boat, and how if you turn it one way, it turns the whole ship, and he's, he's connecting that with how the tongue works. So it, it's, I hope that makes sense. But for me, like, with my struggle against pornography, you guys know that I, um... I have over a year free of pornography and all forms of sexual integrity I have victory over as well. Not a year, but I have some victory, some time under my skin. Thank the Lord. Praise the Lord. But one of the things that was really causing me to fall into that is social media. And I had seasons of getting off social media and then going back on it for a week and then getting off of it for the next four months, you know. Um, and then, like... I mean, social media was, like, really the biggest trigger for me. Um, a lot of it was, like, other people I was hanging around with. That, like Paul says, um, somewhere in 1 Corinthians, uh, bad company corrupts good morals. And I think, right, I think the context he's speaking in there is um, do not hang out with unbelievers. He goes, what does darkness have to do with light? So let's think deeply and slowly this part of the verse where it says, if you have suffered in the flesh, you have ceased from sinning. Now that may scratch your, 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 that may scratch your heart and go, how? I thought, I thought the same thing and I prayed about this and here's what I got. 
we know that our fleshly desires carry out the desires of sin. Galatians 5, 17 and 19. If we suffer in the flesh, it means we are denying that of what our flesh craves. In other words, our fleshly desires never die away. They never will. Now, the scripture to back this up, Paul says in the same chapter, Galatians 5, this is in context, that our flesh man and spirit man are constantly at war with one another. So if we are suffering in the flesh, we are putting down what those desires are in the flesh. If we aren't, if we weren't, we would be gratifying the desires of the flesh. We have put ourselves in a place of humility when we suffer in the flesh, which will help us walk in the spirit more and overcome the ways of walking in the flesh. So I think that's what that means when, when he says, if you've suffered in the flesh, you've ceased from sinning. Because our flesh desires sin. Our sin is, it's fun. It can be fun sometimes, but Paul says godly sorrow leads to repentance. So when we are suffering in the flesh, it's our flesh going, oh my gosh, oh, I really wanted to, I really wanted to go watch porn. I really wanted to have that drink. I really wanted to get drunk. I got a little bit tipsy, and man, if I could just drink a little bit more. And I've had temptations like that, where I have drank recently, and I've gotten a little bit tipsy, but I have not gotten convicted. Paul says, do not be drunk. There's a difference. And there's a lot of man-made religion out there saying that is drunk, but no, that's no, because I don't get convicted about it. And 1 Thessalonians 5.19, do not be unresponsive to the to the workings of the Holy Spirit, that verse is evident in my life. I am open to the convictions and the movings of the Holy Spirit in my heart. So, you know, I don't need to convince you, but anyway, when we when we suffer in the flesh, it's our flesh saying, oh, I wish I could have done that. And that is normal, beloved. That is normal. You hear a lot of people disagree with that, but I look at scripture and I go, no, nope. Peter says it right here. So, you know what? I don't want to hear it. Verse 3. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Verse 4. With respect to this, they are surprised. So think, think about this. In the midst of... The Gentiles, which contextual, we're going to come back to what, what Gentiles means there because it's, it's contextual. They say, with respect regarding the attitude of the Gentiles, to this, they are surprised. They're shocked when you do not join, join them in the same food of debauchery. Now, or sorry, flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him, meaning the Lord or Jesus Christ, who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. Now, where it says dead there, it, I, I, don't quote me on this. I'm, I'm kind of making an educated guess here. I think it means spiritually dead. I think that's what it means. Um, that through that though judged in the flesh, the way people are they might live in the spirit 
the way God does. At the beginning of verse 3, where Peter mentions Gentiles, it can be translated into those who are unbelievers and those who are ignorant of God's will. It's a contextual meaning. Or meaning, sorry. These words Peter says in verses 3 through 6 give me so much hope in knowing that I am personally doing the will of God, not living in a sin- sinful, indulged love, uh, lifestyle. And a lot of people, like, I'm going I'm to go off note here for a second because I've got more notes here, but people would think that's like legalism, but I'm like, you know what, if I get into a face-in-face conversation with someone, um, this is what I learned from a pastor a long time ago. When you get into a conversation with someone where you two disagree on something, a pastor once told me, when you get into a conversation with that, like that with someone, ask them, how did you get to that point? And just say, like, like, like I'm not saying that, like, like, Make, make it evident your motives and your intentions behind that because, because you want to have a heart of understanding, a heart of a courtesy, if that's the right word. Because it's not legalism. It's, and you know what? Okay, I, I, I want to go back to this one part of the verse. Like it, like okay. So people, this is something that I, this is another message that's been in my mind, in the back of my head, for quite some time now. About like, how do you know if you're doing God's will? A lot of people think it's like, like, am I supposed to be a pastor, an evangelist, a prophet, and yada yada yada? That's part of it. That is part of it. Ephesians four talks about that. Um, like verse two right here, so that you live for the rest of the time in the flesh. No longer for human passions, but for the will of God. And it's like, well, what's the will of God? And it's it says in verse 1, to suffer in the flesh, which means to not live to the to the to the will of what the Gentiles are, are doing, which is stated in verse 3. Living sensually, sensuality, I think that's how you pronounce it. Passions, drunkenness, or just drinking parties and lawless idolatry. It's like Paul's like like the desires of the flesh in Galatians 5, and he makes like the same kind of statements Peter makes in verse 3. So that's part of God's will. Like 2 Thessalonians 4, I think it is, Paul says to he encourages the church in Thessalonica to abstain from sexual immorality, and he follows it with, for this is the will of of God in Christ Jesus for you. That's God's will for you, to abstain from that. It's that simple. That's it, beloved. And that's part of it, but at least you know some of it now because there's people who are spiritually dead that Peter says right here that they're ignorant of it. But God has called you out by name and has called you into this glorious, like, delight and wonder and setting and oh my gosh so if you hear what that noise is it's um it's my friend's automatic vacuum that's in the vacuum house okay he goes into uh, peter goes into verse two to live god's will for our lives and part of that will is to do what peter says in verse three
which is to abstain from what the Gentiles do. That's not me saying to, oh yeah, go ahead and have sex and live sensually and worship idols. No, that, that's not what I'm saying, but rather abstain from those things. Now, I personally look at... Oh, you know what? I'm sorry. If you like the little song that's playing right now, it's called Like a Tree by Waldner Worship. It's a song I've played previously in the past, but I just wanted to... You know, I think last week I played a... Or I think it was Friday or Tuesday I share I played a song that I hadn't played in a while. So I'm kind of going back to that. I'm playing some old songs that I haven't played before. So, yeah, it's called Like a Tree by Waldner Worship. I love this. So I personally look... I look at verse four when we are when we are maligned. Now let's let's go back. Let's try and find that word real quick. Verse four at the end of verse four, where it says, "With I'm going to start from verse four and read the whole verse, and I'll, I'll show you where we find this word." For those of you that are maybe not like reading along with me, and that's fine. You can do whatever you want. With with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. That's the word, malign. Now, I personally look at verse 4 when we are maligned by not living in the ways that they are wanting us to join them in, which Peter says. When we do, when we are when, when we are a doer of Romans 12 too, not being conformed by the ways and the traditions of this world, we are doing God's will for us. Now, the Greek for maligned is to speak reproachfully, to rile at, revile, calumniate, blaspheme, or to be evil spoken of. Now, uh, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing this word right. I'm sorry, beloved, but it's the word the word that I said, calumniate, and it make and the definition of that word is to make false and defamatory statements about. So, when, like, okay, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna share who this is exactly. But I have, a, I, have a, I have an old friend of mine. We're not friends anymore. And I've been praying for him recently over the past few days. But he was just like at home. And he had some people come over to his house and ask him if he wanted to um, like go out and party and, and drink and do a bunch of stuff and probably you know mess around with some girls. And he just said no. He said like I, I can't do that. And then he just closed the door in and then he went to go spend some time with the Lord. And that that is that is this verse right here. It's evident, beloved. And maybe they did speak evil about that person. Maybe they did. And you know what? We don't need to know that. We need to know that God doesn't miss a thing and, and that will be judged if they don't repent. And so that's what's important here. Now I know early on in my walk with Christ like a year and a half in, maybe two years, um, I had friends that encouraged me to sleep around with women. And on a few different occasions, I did mess up. Um, now, I didn't have my podcast at this point. This, this was before I um, went to my first year at Bethel. But um, I know that that's been forgiven because I've repented. I have... M. Uh, I forget. Anyway, but it means to change one's mind. Um, now, here's some thoughts back back on uh, David Guzik. Um, 
uh, the guy that's on Blue Letter Bible, for where the verse says, For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. So he's saying, like, before you came to Christ, you were like, like, you did this before. But we spent enough time doing that. So Peter realizes and realized we have all spent enough time living like the world. Now we're called to live like Christians. But beloved, it, it almost feels like when we think about that, like we feel alienated, but we have to realize what an honor that is, that the Lord has called us out by name and opened our eyes to our sin. And we've repented. It is profound and f it is a profound and foolish waste of time for Christians to live like the world. And we must simply stop being double-minded. The Greek word dipsuhas for double-minded and start living like living as Christians. Now sadly, many Christians in their heart of hearts think that they have not spent enough time doing the will of the ungodly. They want to experience more of the world before they make a full commitment to godliness. I know that was kind of that, that was evident in my life when I was messing up a little bit here and there, sleeping around with women. Um, every time after I got done, I really had so much godly sorrow, and I just um, was very quick to just like go home or go wherever and just kneel down and just confess my heart, and really just having like a Psalm 51 moment with the Lord. And for those of you that don't know Psalm 51, it's um, David's prayer after he commits adultery with Bathsheba. You can that it's a beautiful psalm this is a tragic mistake and takes a path that leads away from eternal life now uh in david guzik's notes he uses the word lewdness now i don't remember seeing this word in um in first peter so he's probably using a different version which is fine but this word begins a list of sins that peter understood should only mark the past life of christians and not the present this word means to live without a sense of moral restraint, especially in regard of sexual immorality and violence. Uh, again, lewdness denotes uh, excesses of all kinds of evil, involving a lack of personal self-restraint, or even just where Paul says, like, like self-control. The term pictures sin as a inordinate and indulgence of appetites to the extent of violating a sense of public uh, decency. That's from Hebert, which could be a scholar, I'm not sure, but when we look at this list of lewdness, lust, drunkenness, uh, revelries, I'm trying to pronounce that right, I'm sorry, drinking parties and abominable idolatries, we see just how little fallen man has progressed in the last 2,000 years. These problems have not been solved in the time since Peter wrote this letter. Um, I have I've been in a season of having people talk to me this way for doing God's will for the season that I am in right now. Just people who are continuing to encourage me to Keep hanging in there with the Lord. I know you're going through some tough stuff, but he's got you. Verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober 
sober-minded. Remember that? Remember that word, sober-minded, for the sake of your prayers. We're going 40 minutes here. I'm going to see. Let me, let me just I'm going to try and see where I'm going to stop here in a second. I'm going to go to verse, we're going to end at verse 11 for part one, part one and we'll resume uh, part two in verse 12, Lord willing. So here, let's go back to verse seven. I'm going to read it again. I have a note right here. This is, we're going to get into a little bit of Greek here. The end of all things is at hand. And I think what Peter means by that is the return of Jesus Christ. And like over the past few months, I obsess over um, like car design. I love cars very much and it's something that I need to like do Colossians 3, like set my mind on things above and just like not obsess over cars. But recently the Lord's been showing me like all of this is passing away. And I think that's what Peter essentially means by here in verse 7, the end of all things are, are at hand. It's all passing away. Like where uh, Solomon, so scholars say it's Solomon, I do firmly believe it is Solomon, that everything is smoke. It's the Hebrew word hevel. Like it, it, it's, and what he means by smoke is like it's here one moment and it's gone the next. It's here and it vanishes. It's all like, it's all just like vanity. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. If you remember, we went over what it means to be sobered earlier in this study back in chapter 1. Peter says in chapter 1, verse 13, he says, So prepare your minds for action and be completely sober. So we see sober show up in chapter 1. We see it show up here in chapter 4, and when we get into chapter 5, Lord willing, verse 8 in chapter 5, Peter says the same word. So we see this word show up three times in three different chapters. It is all the same Greek word, nepho. Nepho. It is used as a verb, and it means to be sober, to be calm and collected in spirit, to be temperate, dispassionate, and circum circumspect, dispassionate. I think what that means is like, like you're gratifying the desires of the flesh too much, and you're becoming passionate for sin. That could mean what it's mean. That that that, that could be a definition. I just kind of plucked that right out of my head real quick. Some of those definitions may raise an eyebrow to not understand it fully, but here is some more Greek info for you. Um, if you like to know how to spell. Oh, sorry, but I read my notebook. But there, there is some more Greek info for you, like what I just shared. And if you like to know how to spell this Greek word, if you're taking notes, it's spelled N-E-P-H-O. N-E-P-H-O. Verse 8, above all, keeping love, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Now, Peter here is actually quoting a proverb in verse 8. What we read in chapter 10, uh, Proverbs 10, verse 12. This is a hypothesis I have continued uh, to see in New Testament scripture. Most of the time when the apostles make a statement of truth, when they say like something like verse 8, like, oh, do this and do that, and yada, 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 they usually back it up to quote an Old Testament scripture. We can see that, like, I love Galatians 3 where Paul says, um, cursed are those who are hung on a tree. And he's quoting Jesus because he was hung on a tree, and he quotes back to Deuteronomy. That's what he's quoting from. Uh, which means they did not lean on their own understanding. The apostles, when they made a statement, and then they went to Old Testament Scripture, they're not leaning on their own understanding. 
but rather God's understanding through his words in his word. Now there is a footnote that I'm going to read out of my on-hand Bible for 1 Peter 3.8. Okay, here it is. I'm just going to read it and then... Oh, it's First Peter. We're on First Peter four. Not. Oh my gosh! I was looking at First Peter three eight, and I'm like, wait, no, there isn't a foot footnote. Oh my gosh! Okay. Okay, here it is. Out of the amplified. Above all, have fervent. That's the we're gonna that, that that's the footnote where it says fervent and unfailing love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. It overlooks unkindness and unselfishly seeks the best for others. Proverbs ten twelve. Um, and the footnote for verse 8 is the Greek word was used to describe the taunt stretched muscles of a runner winning his race. Love that. Okay, here we go. We're almost done here for part one. We'll move on to part two here pretty soon. We're really. A thought from Guzik's. A thought from Guzik, quoting from, I think, is to be a scholar by the name of Grudem. G R U D E M. Where love abounds in fellowship in a, in a fellowship of Christians, many small offenses and even some large ones are readily they're readily overlooked and forgotten. But where love is lacking, every word is viewed with suspicion. Every action is liable to misunderstanding and conflicts abound to Satan's perverse delight. That's probably my favorite note, honestly, by far, so far. Verse 9, show hospitality. I'm going to come back to that verse, hospitality, to one another without grumbling. Remember that word, grumbling. We're going to come back to that. Now, there's another footnote for verse 9. Get my bibble here. First Peter 4, not First Peter 3. <laughs> okay. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. Now, so the ESV uses... So You're right, I'm sorry. We are reading out of the ESV for today. I don't know if I shared that. I'm sorry, I should have shared that at the beginning. ESV uses the word grumbling. The Amplified uses the word complaint. Now, hospitable um, means... Um, during times of persecution, the early church mutual support was often critical for the survivors of fellow believers. Um, and then, hospitality translates into an adjective, and it means to be generous to, to guests. When I saw that word grumbling at the end of uh, verse 9, I thought of James' words in chapter 5, verse 9, where it says, Do not complain against your brothers or sisters in Christ. And I wanted to see if they were both the same Greek words. They are different. So I wanted to clarify, since they are different, the Greek word for grumbling here in verse 9 in First Peter, not, not the verse in James, it's the Greek word gagosmas. Gagusmas. I pronounced the... It's actually... It's 
not the first word I pronounce, it's gagusmas. It's used as a masculine noun and it means to murmur, murmuring, muttering, a secret debate, a secret displeasure, not openly avowed. I tried to look up what that last definition meant, but I couldn't find, but, but I couldn't understand it myself. And if you'd like to know how to spell this Greek word, it's spelled G-O-N-G-Y-S-M-O-S. I'll spell that one more time. G-O-N-G-Y-S-M-O-S. Last two verses, and then we'll go into part two. As such... As, as each has received a gift, remember that word, a gift, we're going to come back to that, or the two words, a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Now, a gift, at the beginning of the verse, in the Greek, it means a spiritual talent or an ability graciously given by God. When you see the translation of it being, I'm going off note here, when you see the translation of or an ability graciously given by God, you can see that it makes sense of the second part of the verse as good stewards of God's very grace. It makes sense. This is why, like, oh my gosh, you can see that, like, when you look at that in the Greek, the verse makes so much more sense based on what Peter says at the end of verse 10. This is why, like, this is how much it opens our mind. It's so incredible, beloved. We can also relate this with Peter's words at the beginning of his letter about being a spiritual house and that they are to build one another up uh, in the faith. First uh, Peter 2.5 Whoever speaks... So, okay, we're going to look at this, look at this connecting with first hand, the, 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 the context. He says, let... As each has received a gift, meaning members in the body of Christ, use it to serve one another as God's stewards of grace. Now, he, he goes off of one of the gifts in verse 11, and he says, Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles, we're going to come back to the word, or we're going to come back to that word oracles, of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him being glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And that amen in the Greek uh, usually, or not usually, most all, all the time it means uh, let it be. Oracles translates into the words or utterances from God. So he's just like using one of the gifts as an example. He's saying if some of you speak um, words or utter, utterances from God, that the Greek definition of um, oracles do that so that it may glorify God through Christ Jesus. Um, that's just one of, again, that's just one of the ways that we can like glorify God through that. So essentially, verse 10, Peter is, Peter, I feel, personally is saying pretty much Ephesians 4, that we are to use our gifts God has graciously given to us to equip members in the church for the glory of God. There are different ways to say that, though like what you read in, in Ephesians 4. And we can see that clearly here in verse 10, as well as, again, uh, Ephesians 4, 1 through 13. 
When we look at Peter's words more carefully in verse 11, it seems it shows James's words in chapter 3 in a bigger contract. contrast, that there is a stricter judgment on teachers. We can't go on a stage or into a microphone and say whatever seems, whatever seems to be right. We have to do 1 John 4, carefully weighing and examining all that we hear. Um, and then we're going to end here, but I'm going to read my last note before we get into verse 12, because Peter's going to go on a different tangent here, a different subject. These next few verses, we're, we're going to look deeper into the original language more than the other verses. It opened my eyes so much when I did, so be ready. All right. Um, in case anyone can't listen to part two, I want to uh, just share the gospel real quick. There was a law given to God's people, the Israelites, which were written on tablets of stone, like literally. God gave it to God gave it through Moses after God let his people, the Israelites, out of the bondage and slavery of Egypt through King Pharaoh. Now generation after generation, God's people, the Israelites, could not do what God demanded. There were many kings who led over God's people. Many were righteous in the eyes of the Lord, but many were also evil. There then came prophets during that time of the kings sent by God who would give God's people uh, and kings a message of many kinds. One of those messages we can find in Isaiah chapter 53. There was a prophecy about a coming Messiah, someone from the lineage and root and genealogy of David that would save everyone from their sins, to then be in right standing with God through this Savior. After all the turmoil of the law that brought forth death, which was given again through Moses, Jesus came and started to proclaim the gospel, and it was repent and believe in the gospel, which the gospel right there, um, forget the Greek word, it's kind of scrambled in my mind, I kind of know how to pronounce it, but it means like the good news of what Jesus did. For the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus also said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, meaning what the prophets have said about me, but I've come to not abolish, but to fulfill them. Now, Paul, which is a guy that many of you may have heard before, and if you haven't, that's fine. We don't want to assume here. That's, that's quite ignorant, or ignorant and arrogant. Paul was a chosen man by God to proclaim the good news of the gospel. It says in Romans that we have all fallen short of the glory of God, that we are not morally good people. And I'm including myself in that statement of we. But rather, we're dead in our sins. But Christ came to redeem us from the curse of the law, Galatians 3. The sting of death and that he may make us in right standing with God. Jesus lived the life that we couldn't live by being tempted by sin, but knew no sin so that we would become the righteousness of Christ. We are all sheep who have gone our own way, but God has caused the wickedness of us all to fall on him, Jesus Christ. So in essence, the bad news is, we couldn't do what God asked us. We kept falling short generation after generation. But the good news is that Jesus finished it. And those who repent, which means to change one's mind and live according to the, to the will of God for your life and believe in the atoning sacrifice that Christ made on your behalf, you are saved. You're born again. Your name is found in the book of life and you can receive the Holy Spirit which will direct you in the will of God. Here are some scriptures that emphasize what Christ has done. Galatians 3, 10 through 14. 
2 Corinthians 5.21, Isaiah 53, John 3, and Ephesians chapter 2. Let's close in prayer, everyone, and then we'll start part two for First uh, Peter 4. Father, I thank you so much for your grace, and Lord, I just pray for my listeners that are walking with you, Holy Spirit, that they continue to be led by your Spirit, they would yield themselves to you and find your grace in the midst of any trials they may be going through. I pray for those that have been that have been blessed financially and they would be faithful with what you want them to do with their finances. I pray that they'd be faithful with the gifts that you continue to give them. Lord, I pray that the words that I said out of 1 Peter 4, that they would be true, and that they would go forth in power and they would equip the body of Christ to find joy and delight in the midst of doing those things, being a doer of your word, Lord. I pray for the joy of the Holy Spirit in this person's heart. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right, everyone, I will see you in part two of First Peter 4. Thanks for listening.